0: Welcome to Unofficial Canon, a Star Wars podcast. My name is Taven.
1: Hi, I'm Brendan.
0: And uh, we are back from our long, uh, unscheduled, unannounced hiatus. How's it feel, Brendan? Oh,
1: it feels great to be back, Taven.
0: It actually was kind of nice to return to some research and some deep diving and whatever else. But, you know, for our fans, we apologize for that. You know, it just is one of those things where. Life gets busy, and you've got personal stuff on the go and non personal stuff, and it's just this becomes kind of a low priority, we'll say. Uh, but we appreciate those who stuck in there. Uh, interestingly enough, we still our Facebook page keeps getting likes.
1: That's crazy. But thank you, everyone, for hitting that like button on Facebook.
0: Yeah, so people are still finding the podcast and that's all great but you know i think moving forward we we can't really promise any real consistency for the release schedule at least until the end of the year um it's just i mean look around at the world and you might understand kind of what we're dealing with right now
1: it hasn't been the best decade so far
0: yeah the 2020s (laughs) exactly so with that said like if you're a patreon member and you're subscribed and you think you know maybe that's unfair you don't want to you know, be giving money until we have some level of consistency again. Just feel free to uh, unsubscribe. That's totally fine. Uh, At the same time, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because if we got more Patreon members, we could hire an editor. And that would change a lot of things and probably help with the consistency. Um, So basically, do whatever you want. But I can't promise you anything at this exact moment. That might change in a month. But uh, for now... Um, we're recording a couple episodes. you you've got a couple of episodes coming your way.
1: Yeah. And it should, it should be fun.
0: <laughs> so with that said, let's get right into it. Uh, there's not really housekeeping. I'm not going to start sending people <laughs> places if we don't know if we're going to have episodes in three weeks or whatever. Um, so Brendan, from where you recall, where did we leave off last?
1: I believe we left off with the rescue of our hero, Jin Erso. Uh, by the lovable droid K2SO and a bunch of random rebels.
0: Yes, that is correct. Um, although I will have to say, let's put hero, especially at this point in the movie, in big quotation marks. Yes. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But uh, I think what would be great to do right now, instead of continuing down the plot of the film, mm. is let's take a moment... Let's take a breath and let's talk about um, K2SO, because I think he is, especially in hindsight, one of the big draws of this movie. Yes. Yeah. And something that really kind of stands out as being like, you can't really fault anything about K2SO. It's a well-constructed character that fits perfectly in
1: this movie. And, I mean, you know, design... it. He looks the part, performance-wise. Alan Tudyk did a great job, and uh, he, he's just—he's just, you know. I would—I would put him up there in droid characters with like R two and Chopper.
0: And it's interesting because something that I'm fascinated about is how these droid characters work so well in these movies, and how they always seem to fit up this very specific niche. And yet, they don't feel cookie cutter to one another. right? Uh, So I'd love to touch on that, but let's save that till the end. For now, I have a variety of facts, canonical facts, about the KX series droid, which K2SO is one of. For those unaware, the KX series is a security droid. Uh, it's also often referenced in um, empirical cir- circles as the KX series enforcer droids, which which seems to fit uh, p- pretty well <laughs> given given their viewpoint of things. Um, they were manufactured by uh, Arachid Air- Industries. I don't know how to pronounce that exactly. Here, here's how it's spelled. A-R-A-K-Y-D. What is your guess? A Ar- racket I think so. And so I looked into this, this company, this fictional Star Wars company. Uh, man, I forgot what the podcast was like. Let's talk about <laughs> this corporation that doesn't exist. Um, so I looked into them, and they're... They, they most famously produced uh, the Viper Probe Droid, which we're all probably very familiar from Empire Strikes Back. That is the one um, that Han Solo shoots with his blaster.
1: Right, right, right.
0: But they've also, like, and it seems like generally their history is probe droids. Like, they have, if there's a probe droid that looks like a Viper droid but isn't quite that's shown up in Clone Wars, these guys made it. Right. That seems to be how that is
1: so so because that i find that a little interesting just that going through clone wars most of star wars these guys are building just just basically probe droids but then at one point after the clone wars before the death star gets blowed up they're like you know what we should try doing you know what's great remember the clone wars with all them battle droids let's try making one of those too well
0: and i have some interesting information about the political situation That surrounded the production of these droids.
1: Well, I'm in.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's just your little uh, foreshadowing for that information. But another droid that I found kind of interesting that they had produced, which you may or may not have heard of, uh, but when I describe it to you, you'll know exactly what it is, is the RA-7 protocol droid. Are you familiar?
1: Is that the protocol droid uh, that is silver and has sort of a more like bulbous head than 3PO?
0: Would you describe the head as insectoid like?
1: I w- I would lean towards insectoid like. Then you are correct.
0: It is yeah. basically C3PO with like an insect head.
1: Right, with a bug head.
0: Yeah. So, I guess they had done kind of like humanoid droids before, but maybe they just weren't popular cuz they put a bug head on them. Can you can you imagine, like, you've you've bought a protocol droid. For years, you haven't had one. Everyone has had a droid on the street. And, like, its charging station is in the kitchen or whatever. And, you know, it's late at night. You, like, wake up. You just had a nightmare. And you're like, man, I could really use a glass of water or even a shot of whiskey or something. So you go down and you're minding your own business when all of a sudden, out of the corner of your eye, you see this horrifying humanoid creature that is reflecting the sunlight back at you and you shit yourself right before you realize that that's just your bug droid that's that's just
1: it's the best we could afford all all my neighbors have ford mustangs but i've got a honda civic
0: a scary honda civic. a scary honda civic <laughs> That would be terrifying. Anyway, moving on from that, uh, this Arrakid, uh company is mentioned in the Tarkin book, which I know you and I are both fans of. Okay, But it seems to be, as of late, m- seems to have some kind of importance in the new High Republic series, which I have no interest in. So I didn't go any deeper than, okay, there's lots of references to it in the High Republic series.
1: And it's an older corporation then.
0: Yeah. Well, I think most of them have been around for
1: a long time, right? That's true.
0: Because if you think about it in kind of the Star Wars world, corporations are the only things that survive wars, more or less.
1: Yay! Capitalism. Space capitalism.
0: So turning more specifically to K2SO himself, uh, clearly this is something that we know just from Rogue One. He, He was built by the Empire, or built for the Empire, uh, but was reprogrammed to be Cassian's kind of right-hand droid Mm -hmm. at some point. Returning to the idea that this post-Clone War security droid, um, in the Rogue One Ultimate visual guide, uh, it is stated that the Imperial Senate had actually prohibited the creation of battle droids uh, after the Clone Wars. And Arakid specifically found a loophole that allowed them to create these KX droids simply by marketing them as security droids.
1: Right. They're not, they're not attack droids. They're defense droids.
0: Yeah, which is like, that's kind of a loophole, guys. Can you imagine, like, oh, no, I'm not building an army of battle droids. I'm building 100,000 security droids. I just need to feel safe. I'm just trying to feel safe. I'm going to feel safe by taking my security droids and bringing them to your planet. And now it is my planet.
1: (laughs) It feels dreamed up. By like, what was, oh man, my, my brain is drawn a blank on the nemoidian from the, uh, from the prequels.
0: The oh. One,
1: the one Newt, who, Newt Gunray. Gunray, yeah. He'd come up with a plan like this.
0: Well, no, he wouldn't, but somebody around so him somebody, would. Somebody else would, yeah. And he would just take credit for it, and then he'd get the promotion to whatever is above whatever he was at that time. (laughs) Exactly. What's also kind of interesting is that the Rogue One um, Ultimate Visual Guide also seems to establish that there is some sort of standard programming in droids that restricts them from doing harm to uh, sentient organic life. Huh. And uh, it, it seems to tie that with this law that the... I guess the empire or the republic, it's hard to know when that law came in, but the winners of the clone wars put into place. So we'll just we'll keep that in mind. I guess moving forward.
1: That's uh, that's that's interesting.
0: Yeah, perhaps they created a set of r- simple rules that uh
1: three golden rules for artificial intelligence maybe? Potentially.
0: We may never know. Clearly, though, clearly, it probably is much more difficult to build droids now because you have to have this programming in it. It's not like a you know 10-year-old kid can just collect a bunch of parts from a junk, junkyard anymore and just slap together a protocol droid and be like, there, us for my mommy.
1: Get some bootleg uh, protocol droid operating system installed and away you go.
0: You got to think that there's got to be like a black market now for like droids that are pre this law and this programming. Cause mm-hmm. like R2D2 clearly does not have this
1: programming. Right. But I mean, he was built clearly before the clone wars.
0: Yeah, exactly. So there, so you'd think that like the value of a pre clone wars droid would go significantly up.
1: Well, yeah, it's got, it's gotta be high and, and there's gotta be a lot of them, right? Cause like the Confederacy probably built a lot of B1 and B2 battle droids.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I'd have to do... I didn't specifically deep-dive that, but I would assume that a lot of those were probably just... You know, if you're if you're outlying battle droids, right, mm-hmm. you'd suddenly want to destroy all the existing ones, but...
1: It's a shame that that didn't wind up being the plot of Bad Batch, which was just a bunch of clones going around deactivating droids for 12 episodes. There
0: are other pieces of canon where modified... You know, battle droids do show up. So, and specifically, like, I'm thinking about the Aftermath book where there's a very prominent battle droid that is built by, like, a 10 year old child. And no one questions the fact that they have a battle droid. So it's, uh, you know, it's almost like uh, the canon is imperfect and made by people who don't really care. But anyway. No. um, And then finally, my last point is that. The the KX series seem to be to seem to have been developed around fourteen BBY, or deploy and deployed around fourteen BBY, uh, mostly on guard duty. And of course, the info that's available on where or what they were doing is mostly tied to the Rogue One movie, right? So exactly, um,
1: they'll well, show the- up
0: when they want them to
1: and it's the only movie that we've seen them in cuz i don't think i mean obviously they didn't show up before rogue one but i don't think there was ever one that showed up in the sequel trilogy post rogue one
0: mm, not a functional one i bet you can probably see like a dead one here there uh, like a little everywhere.
1: easter egg somewhere in the in the back of a scene or something
0: yeah and i know that they've like um looking at looking at the various um footnotes on the wikipedia and stuff they're clearly everywhere in the video games and things now but yeah i don't think we've seen them in a motion picture other than rogue one
1: or even mandalorian come to think of
0: it yeah well no did we see i think maybe they there was one or two in mandalorian i'd have to go back and rewatch, but it would that would be the place where it would make the most sense for them to show up
1: that's what i'm thinking yeah
0: Especially, you know, given the Empire's state at that moment, you can't, you know, you've got limited resources and personnel. You probably have to deploy droids as much as possible.
1: Yeah, you'd think Gideon would be all over that.
0: Well, yes, especially with his love of droids. Actually, I wonder if, because I mean, when we get to our true deep dive of Mando, not just our let's react to watching the episodes. Mm hmm looking into those battle droids that he developed and seeing where their origins were from.
1: The nineties. Their origins were from the nineties. Yeah. The dark troopers from the old EU.
0: Oh, are they old EU cannon?
1: Oh, interesting.
0: See, This is why you're here, Brendan. <laughs> the only reason I do an hour of research and you're like, Oh yeah, this. And I'm like, Oh, okay, great. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so that's kind of like all the general ish knowledge I have about the KX series. There is quite a there's not quite a bit, but there is information on K two SO's history, specifically how him and Cassian Andor came together, which I'm gonna put a big asterisk before we talk about this, Brendan. Because it's all gonna get changed when yes. the casting Andor show comes out. Yes, it will, and that's coming soon. So, and you you want to know why the main reason is for that, Brendan?
1: What's that, David?
0: Because all this canon information comes from our favorite source of canon information. Comics? Say it with me. Comic, Comic books. books. Yeah. Which, <laughs> again. If you didn't realize that and you haven't listened to this podcast yet, I am being sarcastic. I will once again share, comic books are not canon. I'm sorry. We've already seen them retcon lots of crap that's happened in the comic books. It will continue to happen. You can enjoy your comic books, but they are not canon.
1: Look, I'm if not if novels aren't safe, comic books are definitely not safe.
0: Yeah. No, they're well, and you got to think like it's so hard to maintain that because you have a comic book coming out every two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And how exactly. do you how do you ensure that you're not stepping on a story that you might want to do in a Disney Plus show now, right? You know, maybe it, maybe when Disney first bought them, right? And you were like, yeah, this is a great way to tell smaller stories that like you'll never do a movie about. But now that we have TV shows, you're 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 wasting your time with Star Wars comic books.
1: Well, exactly. You're going to make way more money off a show.
0: Every single time. 100%. Anyway, there is a special one-off comic called Cassian and K2SO, and it tells the story of how Cassian and K2SO found each other. It is exactly what you would expect. And so now, without doing any research or understanding, Brendan is going to tell us the broad strokes of how Cassian and K2SO
1: came together. All right. So just just to be clear, I have not researched this. I have not. I this is the first I've even heard of this comic book. But I'm gonna guess that Cassian goes on some kind of super secret rebel spy mission. He's behind enemy lines, and he winds up needing or confronting K2SO in some way while he's either in a sort of power regeneration mode or some kind of sleep mode. Goes in and uh, uses a spike or some other Star Wars term for hack, shifts K2's programming, and then winds up escaping with the droid who, after his programming, realizes that uh, a life of service to the Empire just isn't what he wants to do anymore.
0: It's very good. You're very close. Very, very close. Uh, it's the fine details you got wrong, but you basically got the broad strokes of Cassian Andor on secret mission. Cassian uh, comes in contact with K2SO. Cassian wipes his re- uh, his memory. They escape together. New programming makes them best friends forever, more right. or less. So the the more detailed of it, is that K2SO was assigned to a planet called Wakauko. I don't know if that's pronounced right. It doesn't matter because, again, this is comic book canon. Uh, what's interesting about this planet, I, I I went and I researched this planet specifically because, and this is why Wikipedia has really become like a jungle of information, because you'll look at like, hey, where were the KX series uh, sent? And it'll be like Jeddah and... What's the planet at the end of Rogue One?
1: Uh, Oh, Scarif.
0: Scarif, right? And you're like, okay. And then you go and you look at this comic book, and it's like, okay, K2SO was on this other planet. So I was like, okay, where the hell is this planet? Um, It's located in a region uh, called the Colonies region. So for those unfamiliar, that's an area between the core worlds and the inner rim. It's a very small, it's like a sliver of space. Um, And I'm assuming, because again, I couldn't find information on this, um, based on the facts that uh, the area is known for trade, and there's a lot of very important uh, hyperspace trails that go through it, that this was like a place of very early expansion.
1: Just like the trade station from before. Yes. Yes which is in a very special, unique little area of space that doesn't do much except for trade. Gotcha. Okay.
0: Yeah. Where, you know, again, the story groups getting their money's, uh, getting their money's worth out here. Right? Um,
1: they spent, they spent a whole 10 minutes on that. Uh,
0: so, uh, another, just cause I went down this rabbit hole and now you all need to go down this rabbit hole with me. Uh, another colony world, uh, is mentioned in the novel Tarkin. Again, it's called Castel. Uh In that book, it specifically talks about like an uprising that took place and then the Jedi were sent and Tarkin kind of contextualized it as, wow, the Jedi are really bad at dealing with these situations. Here's our next connection. Castell is also men- mentioned in the Lando Calrissian comic book. And this is where I was like, okay, so the comic book writers have created this This area in space between two known areas, just so they can f around in it. Yep. But anyway, this was the great fact about Castell that during the Galactic Civil War, Mister Lando Calrissian stole Palpatine's luxury yacht called the Imperialis from Castell, where it was being repaired. What? Palpatine was like, send my luxury yacht to the colonies for repair.
1: Right?
0: It's, oh, why, why there? Sir, we have the, the best repair uh, units here on uh, Coruscant. No. Right? Send it to my mechanic Todd on Castell.
1: Do you want to maybe, uh, maybe send it to the Kuat ship drives where all of the big star destroyers and ships like that are built?
0: No, Todd knows how to make the engine purr, right?
1: Right? Why don't you bring Todd to Coruscant, sir? Do it.
0: (laughs) So that was our little, like, let's go down the the rabbit hole. I kind of had formed this idea that maybe this was like, they made it for the comic books. But then if you dig a little bit deeper, so many of the planets from the Clone Wars show end up in this area as well. So I guess at some point, I don't know if they just renamed it or if they reclassified planets into this area. Um, that happens a lot with the galactic map because it's ever-changing and just conflicts itself all the time. But Yeah, that's...
1: outside of the core, it's real nebulous what anything is.
0: Getting back to what we were originally talking, which was how Cassian and K2SO, currently in canon until the new show comes out, met, is that... Cassian was on a secret secret mission on this planet with a couple other uh, rebel peoples um, who are not important, and they were sno- stooping around doing their snickety snake thing. Um, they were specifically uh, investigating this planet because there's basically nothing on it, and then for some reason the Empire put a giant storage facility on it. I am assuming that's going to tie that ties back to the, the Death Star in some way. That seems to be what Cassian's
1: been doing for the last couple years. Mm -hmm. Well, and at this stage in Star Wars history, anything the Empire does for any sort of Star Wars property is somehow related to building the Death Star. The Death
0: Star, yeah. If not, if not directly tied to the Death Star, designed to create confusion about resource allocation in the galaxy. Exactly. Um, Anyway, Cassian and these two other uh, rebel peeps, they get caught by this security droid the two other guys happen to get away K2SO actually arrests Cassian and he's a he's taken him to the jail and he's basically re-intercepted by the other two who managed to turn him off and wipe his his memory at which point Cassian is like able to put his own programming in there and he's basically like hey just escort us to our ship. Okay. And so they go to the ship, all three of them, and they get on the ship, at which point they realize that they only wiped 32% of K2SO's memory, and he begins to uh, choke Cassian to death, at which point they just do the same shit again, but this time they make sure that they erase all the memory. And, and then they reprogram him, and then they're best friends.
1: Well, I hope you've just spoiled the first two episodes of Andor.
0: Man, I, I hope. Here's my hope for Andor. I hope that the first season, no K2SO at all. I like that. And then the second season, yes, K2SO. And the end of season two is basically the beginning of Rogue One, and then we're done with Cassie and Andor TV
1: show. I like that.
0: That's basically their whole thing, and like I said, it's more or less what you said and what we imagined. There was there's nothing really interesting about it. I I'm also kind of like a little disappointed because I feel like it would make more sense if like, because I would assume that the Rebels go on raids, mm-hmm. right? And that they bring a bunch of gear back. And, like, I feel like as though, like, we don't need to have a big story about how Cassian found K-2SO. And maybe that's, like, just a general thing in Star Wars where everything has to be connected and rhyme and blah, blah, blah. But, like, I feel like it would make just as much sense if, like, Cassian was, like, wandering around the loading bay on Yavin 4... And they were like offloading crap that they had captured, and there's a, there's a security droid, and someone's like, I don't know what to do with this guy, mm-hmm. right? The moment we flip him on, he's gonna kill us all, and Cassian was like, Oh, I'll take him and I'll reprogram him.
1: Yeah, yeah, like like some kind of rebel, uh, strike force captures an imperial freighter or something, loaded with like blasters for stormtroopers, and in the raid that they took the ship on. They had to like deactivate or stun this K2 droid and then they get back and it's just like, what do we do with it? That would be perfect. That would, that would have been just perfect. Well, and the the thing
0: that it does is if you make the decision Cassian's to like retrofit the droid, then you have a story reason for a bond, at least from Cassian's side. Exactly. And then you could like, for instance, if you were going to do like a TV show, um, about Cassian, you could create conflict with uh, other members of the rebellion because they don't trust K-2SO because at any point his programming could um, kick back flip in. and 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 that would be bad. In fact, in the novel, and this is kind of jumping ahead, when Jin meets K-2SO for the second time in the U-wing, in when they're about to leave, she talks about like it happens all the time. That droids programming will just flip back and whatever, um, but she's specifically not concerned because there are so many more important uh, targets around her at that moment that she will be the last one that it goes after. Right. <laughs> like literally, General Doran or whatever his name is, like ten feet from her at that point. So well, and and Mon
1: Mothma's kicking around close by. And then you even got Cassian, the man who's basically, if the programming switches, enslaving an Imperial droid.
0: It would be interesting to see how good that programming is. Because like, part of me thinks that it may K2SO might not even go after anyone specific. He might just be like, go to the nearest ship and just fly off and just radio the Empire and be like, Hey, Yavin 4,
1: <laughs> right? come check out this jungle moon,
0: send the giant death weapon. I mean, maybe maybe we'll get a Star Wars "What If" and it'll just be like, "What if K2SO fucked everyone over?" It's like a five-minute episode, right? It's just it's just shot K2SO in a hallway. Like maybe his eyes go red and then white for a second, and he just turns around, walks to a ship, flies the ship off, is in space, turns on the radio, little. You know, fucking Imperial General hologram shows up on the dashboard and he's like, This is uh, unit KS two oh reporting the rebellion rebel headquarters is on Yavin four. And then it just hard cuts to like the Death Star going around the the gas giant and then just the laser and then
1: Boom.
0: That's what everybody wants. It's what everyone
1: deserves. Come on, Star Wars What If. Have the balls to do it.
0: Um, So going going away from canon now to kind of more of the behind-the-scenes stuff, um, something that I – this was a quote that I kept finding again and again is that cast members and crew uh, described uh, the character as the anti-C-3PO. Mm-hmm. Um, And even Alan Tudyk, he said, that's kind of how I approach the character to a certain degree, which makes a lot of sense given um, that he's a security droid and
1: um, the way that his personality is. But I like that there's still a hint of what 3PO is. You know, there's still that sort of snooty Britishness.
0: Well, and I think the kind of British accent that, Mr. Tudick puts on helps with that mm-hmm. but that was also i mean when you look at the design uh specifically right they were they were very aware that this was going to be an imperial droid in fact early er, early really early like the first design was just black c-3po like that we've seen in the background before right exactly um, but then it kind of evolved and it went through this. It's really interesting. It would be actually really interesting to sit down with the designer. There's a, there's a book called uh, The Art of Rogue One. Uh, and in that, the early design aesthetics were really to match pre-existing Imperial aesthetics, especially from A New Hope. It devolved into almost it feels more rebellion. It was like they forgot that they were like, oh, because now he's a rebel droid. Mm-hmm will make him more kind of like raggedy and exposed stuff and all that stuff and um interestingly enough looking at the book one of those designs is very reminiscent of L337 from Solo Oh really Yeah I'm pretty sure they just like yoink
1: and put in this movie <laughs> Well they were they were under such a time crunch for Solo
0: Yeah well <laughs> oh yeah they were 100% but eventually they landed on the, the design that we, we know now. The body takes inspiration from um, the AT-AT commander that's an Empire Strikes Back, specifically the chest.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: The chest pieces are identical. Um, and then the the head, because the head was the other thing that it seems like they took forever to figure out. The head was uh, specifically inspired by because if it's Star Wars, we go back to Ralph McQuarrie's original art, and there's some really early Stormtrooper art where the head is more, much more like the you know the World War II German kind of helmets that they had, mm-hmm. um, and that that really inspired um, K2SO's final design for the head. And, yeah, and there's a quote here from uh, John Knoll, who is the chief creative officer at ILM. Um, and he said that some of Macquarie's designs for the droids and original Stormtrooper helmets influenced the end designs. And yeah, if you just search Macquarie early Stormtrooper, you'll be like, oh, yeah, yep,
1: I that's... see it. But it works.
0: No, like the whole design really came, c- came together. And like um, especially the size that they ended up with is very menacing. Those long limbs gave Mister Tudic something to work with. Yeah, from a performance, <laughs> which we'll we'll get into here pretty pretty quick here. Uh, let me just quickly look here. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's we'll we'll go right there. Never mind. Now we'll go to Tudi's performance.
1: Smooth, smooth transition, Davin.
0: I know. It'll be smooth when I edit it. They won't even know. But I'm going to leave this part in of course. so that they do know. <laughs> so something that I didn't know, because I hadn't really seen any BTS footage of it, um, was that a lot of the performance um, Alan Tudyk did uh, with stilts. Yeah. Um, I've seen lots of the stuff where he's got kind of the shoulder rig that holds the head. Above, but I never realized that he was actually wearing like a foot and a half stilt most of the time to get the leg movements correct
1: well, and I think having him on set with the rest of the cast is is what also works about it because he's he's actually there and they're you know they're working off a real person instead of just a floating tennis ball
0: yeah well and and the advantage with like I know um I know. Alan Tudyk is a huge fan of improvisation and that's something that he did on Rogue One as well is that um, he was often playing with the the lines or whatever. But it's interesting because I found a quote from him where he was like, I was very aware that I didn't want K2SO to become like an outlier in the show, like a particular other aquatic character.
1: Well, and that's the thing, right? Because they could have gone full Jar Jar with him.
0: Oh, yeah. They totally could. But Mr. Tudick was wise enough to be like, I still wanted him to feel like part of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's exactly what he delivered. Another little interesting fact is that, and I kind of touched on it before, is that because of the stilts and that the head was up below, he was very aware of not trying to bend over because uh, it would look very weird in post. And, it, I, and they were actually using... Um, Unreal Engine 4 technology on set to, like, live render a K2SO in the oh. scenes so that they were able to kind of see what, the, you know, preliminary uh, CGI was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Miss You know, Alan Tudyk has a, like, master's degree in mime or something ridiculous like that. So he, instead of emoting through the face like he would normally do, he, like, did it in the body as much as possible. And it's funny because rewatching, I'm like, Oh yeah, he is kind of a little more flamboyant with his arms and stuff when he's emoting.
1: And, 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 and and, I mean, really just a great performance.
0: Well, it's Alan Tudyk. I mean, the man is a genius of our time. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's a, he's a great character actor, right? Like,
1: no, he is a really good character actor. And, um, and he understood exactly what this character needed. And I it was it, like, I say, um, you know, he's, he's in my top three favorite robots and might be my favorite, you know, walking robot. Well, and that's, so
0: here's the conundrum that I've started to have is like, I'm reading the novelization and I, I am, I like Jin way more in the novelization and like, there's little choices that the author made that make her feel so much more real than the movie. The movie feels so, so flat. And even like the other characters, I would say like Cassian is flat until he's angry. Yeah. Jin is flat until never. And K2SO. Well, okay. We can, we can argue that later, (laughs) but I mean, I, I don't, I guess I comparing, what the author did with that particular character in the book to what the decisions that uh, Felicia Jones, is that her name? I can't uh, Felicity her name. Jones, Felicity Jones made. I just wish she gave us a little bit more because mm-hmm. I think this is going off the rails. Cause it's supposed to be K2SO, but like, I feel like Felicity was like, okay. Um, she's a very internalized person. She keeps a lot to herself. So I'm going to play her like that. Yeah. And, That's not a wrong choice. It's just not the best choice for a movie where I need to care about a character.
1: Well, and where you're basically the lead.
0: Yeah. Kind of in the context of Rogue One K2SO feels almost like a bit of a standout from everyone else because he just is who he is Mm -hmm. where every other character is a spy or keeping secrets or something. Um, So it's just a little refreshing, I think for 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 the audience
1: agreed Uh, and and you know even on on a first watch k2 instantly became a highlight of the movie
0: well and that's and that kind of brings us to the last point which is you know this idea that it seems like droid characters in star wars are always lovable
1: are they though what about uh l337
0: Listen. <laughs> any droid that doesn't portray some form of sexuality is popular in Star Wars.
1: There we I think that's a good <laughs> caveat
0: to add. You know, it was a brave choice in that movie, but I think it was the wrong choice in that movie. Agreed. Especially like it's a kids it's shows for kids, guys. Mm-hmm. Shows for kids. I don't I don't know why we need to be Making that part of the universe more complicated. But yeah, but like, I mean, like, okay, so there's obviously R2-D2 and C-3PO. I'm not going to include C-3PO because he's pretty divisive. Some people love him. Others just cannot handle C-3PO. Yeah. And I get it because C-3PO is that kid on the playground who just whined about everything and wasn't willing to, like, do anything to better their lot in life exactly now r2d2 clearly popular for Mm -hmm. lots of reasons but again that droid has a personality and that droid is simply that personality it's almost as if because these characters are droids they don't they don't need to as bad as it sounds like there's not depth to them Mm -hmm. which allows them to be more entertaining characters
1: well and they're they're kind of like uh dog characters Mm. you know what i mean like pretty much any movie you see uh if it has a dog character you're probably going to like the dog character and it's not because the characters portrayed amazingly uh but there's there's just an inherent sort of innocence and and just happiness that comes from a character like that And then I think you can you can play with it. Right. Because I definitely wouldn't say a character like K2SO is innocent um, or naive or anything like that. But you kind of go into it expecting that. And so little changes to it is it's always nice to see. But I think there's just that sort of quality to the droid characters most of the time in Star Wars.
0: I mean, the the term that often gets used is comic relief for these characters, right? Mm -hmm. R2D2, C-3PO are definitely a comic relief duo. Chopper and Rebels, definitely comic relief, even though I would say that Chopper has probably the darkest backstory of any droid I've ever heard of. Um, K2SO. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, and Chopper's got some real heart to his character.
0: Oh, 100%. Um, And then then K2SO, although he is a menacing... You know, visual, visually character. He's still comic relief, right? Yeah. Um. But then you look. Let's look at, it at the flop side, right? Specifically, re- revisiting our aquatic friend Jar Jar Binks. You try to do kind of that surface level funny character, and we'll we'll, we'll leave the kind of George <laughs> Lucas's uh, blatant racism <laughs> and everything else out of it but you try to translate that to an organic character and it just doesn't seem to work and that's Mm -hmm. what i find fascinating is that you take this object and you turn it into a character and i am more accepting of this surface level characterization i would say and that just works so well in star wars
1: yeah and i i and You know, maybe it's just one of those unexplainable things that work within a certain, you know, intellectual property, because it's always been like that. And I think the success of 3PO and R2-D2 in the original trilogy is why it will always, almost always work in Star Wars. And on that note,
0: I think we will end this episode Thank you, everyone, for still tuning in, despite (laughs) the long wait. Uh, The wait for the next episode will not be as long. That's right. I cannot make any promises um, after that. Um, Although I will say I am going to try my hardest to get you some episodes um, sooner. (laughs) Uh, I'd like to get you a couple more before the end of the year. That's, That's where we'll leave it. You know, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, check us out on Patreon. We also have a Facebook page where you can, I don't know, just like the podcast so advertisers know you like our podcast. I mean, we don't do much on it, but it's the closest thing to a community we have. Yeah, Um, leave leave us a note that's true we we we've often done full episodes on notes left on our patreon or facebook page that is a true statement you could influence um but i think with that we'll say goodbye we won't stretch this out any longer thank you um and we'll see you guys next time bye